Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Well, this morning, I want to speak on the subject of true happiness. And I want to begin by reading the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the, the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this is a very familiar passage of scripture um, that we know as the Beatitudes. And if you'll notice verses three all the way down through 11, the word blessed is used repeatedly. And and again, this is what is known as the Beatitudes. Um, They are pronouncements of blessings. Now, if you're wondering how do we get the word beatitude out of blessings, well, you're not alone. Uh, The term beatitude is actually a derision or derived from uh, Latin, which is beatus. And that word means happy or fortunate or blissful. And so when we call it the Beatitudes, what we're doing is we're being reminded that if if you'll stop and think back to your church history, um, the first language that the Bible was written into from the original was into Latin. And so this is just a carryover from when the Bible was originally written in Latin that we call these the Beatitudes. Now, the thing that I want to start with is that we recognize that Jesus is committed to providing true happiness. That's really the issue that's on display here. The Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world to provide men and women with happiness, lasting, genuine happiness happiness. And sadly, not everybody understands that. Not everybody believes that, you know, but what we need to understand is that happiness is actually God's concern. It's Christ's concern. 
And that becomes very evident, I think, that in Matthew 5, we have recorded the very first sermon of Jesus. And it is a sermon that begins with the issue of happiness. Again, blessed means happy. And so what we're talking about, uh, or what is it that we're, we're talking about here? This appears, this, this term blessed appears nine times here in the introduction. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it appears in one form or another. And it, it appears at least 50 times throughout the New Testament. So what we are talking about here when we're talking about blessed is deep commitment, contentment. Um, this is not some superficial, external sort of temporary happiness. This is deep down satisfaction. Uh, you know, everybody experiences kind of superficial happiness from time to time. You know, you, you look down and there's a $5 bill laying on the ground. You go, oh, wow, cool. You know, that, that, that's a little temporary thing. All of us experience that. But this is a deep, positive sense of all is well. Everything is right. Now, the, the, the word is also an indication of character. And, and and this is an important thing to understand. It is connected to believers. And, and I want to make this very clear. It is used to describe people who are followers of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, it is never, ever used to describe anybody that is not a, a child of God. So it is a permanent state of happiness. It is a sense of contentment, a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, and it belongs only to those who know God. In fact, going beyond that, it's used even to describe God himself. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 68, verse 35, it says, blessed be God. Psalm 72, 18, blessed be the Lord God. Psalm 119, verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 1, 11, Paul talks about the glorious gospel of of the blessed God. So that again, that, that word blessed or blessed has this, this mindset of happiness, of contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction, blissful, blessed. And, and those who belong to God share that because it is part of God's nature. And, and again, this is really just a, an amazing thought when we begin to think about this. The fact that when, when God, when, when we take stock of God's character, when we think about who God is, this term blessed or blessed is what rises to the surface. It is 
his nature. It is God's character. It is, it is who he is. And according to 2 Peter 1.4, we are partakers. When we become children of God, we, we take on God's divine nature. And so because God is blessed, then we become blessed by the very nature that we have God in us. Um, this little video that just showed ended in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is talking about the fact that we have a new, crea we are new creations. We have a new nature and it is the nature of God in us. No one can know true happiness if they don't have God's divine nature. And, and so it, it is reserved for those who belong to the Lord. And it's, it's for people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and this, is, this is something that I think we need to hear and we need to understand because sometimes... As you know, life can get kind of dreary. Life can get to where you're just kind of going, oh, man, <laughs> you know, is there ever going to be a level spot where, where life just kind of eases out? But we need to be reminded that in Christ, we are possessors of God's divine nature and God's divine nature is one of joy and contentment and peace. And so once a person comes to know God through Christ, then this blessed happiness becomes ours. It, it's, it should be become part of who we are. So Jesus is talking here as in the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking about an inward character trait. It's not, again, this is not something that occurs on the surface. This is something that occurs down deep inside of us. He's talking about something that is a characteristic of people who belong to God. In the old story, in the Old Testament, we have the story of Adam. Starting in Genesis, Adam was the very first king in history. And according to Genesis 1.28, he was given lordship, if you will, over all of creation. But he failed as a king, and as a result, he plunged all of humanity into the, the deprivation of sin. The Old Testament begins with Adam sinning and the, the resulting curse that comes about. The Old Testament ends in Malachi with, again, a curse being pronounced. Um, in, Matthew, in Malachi 4, 6, it says, But look ahead, I'm sending Elijah the prophet to clear the way for the day of God, the decisive judgment day. He will convince parents to look after their children and children to look up to their parents. But if they refuse, I come, I'll come and put the land under a curse. So the Old Testament really is about Adam and his failure 
And the fact that because of his failure, all of creation is under a curse. Paul tells us in Romans 8.22 that all creation groans under the curse of sin. So then we come to the New Testament, and the New Testament is about the new Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And it begins with the blessing of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and that blessing is connected to the new covenant that we have with Jesus. And in the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the new covenant that we have because of what Jesus accomplished. The New Testament opens with us meeting the king, the new king. And this new king is not going to be a failure like the old king Adam was. And the, the whole message that the new king has is one of blessing. The first Adam, if you, if you just kind of think with me, the first Adam was tested in a beautiful garden under perfect circumstances, and he failed. The second Adam was tested in the wilderness, in the desert, and he triumphed. The first Adam was a thief, and he was cast out of paradise. The second Adam turned to the thief on the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise. The story of Adam ends with a curse and the story of Jesus Christ begins and ends with a promise. Revelation 22 verse three, there shall be no more curse. The Old Testament gave the law in order to show us that we are sinful and the New Testament gives us the life of Christ to show us the path of true happiness. Matthew presents the king who, who reverses the failure of, of Adam, and he makes us subjects of his glorious kingdom. Um, you know, he, in Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The New Testament is all about blessedness. It's all about happiness. It's all about fulfillment and satisfaction. But it is only for people who are part of the family, part of the kingdom of God. This happiness is reserved for those who are possessors of God's divine nature, who share in the very happiness of God. And, and so that's the context that we're looking at when we see this word blessed or, or blessing. Matthew's focus is on Christ being the king and that the king has come and he has come to bring happiness to the subjects of his kingdom. That's his purpose and, and to bring us happiness. Have you ever stopped to think about that, that 
in, in the process of giving us salvation, he is giving us happiness. He's giving us contentment. He's giving us peace. Now, what we need to understand, and, and again, this isn't going to be too much of a shock, but even in the midst of happiness, even in the midst of, of joy, there is always an element of misery. There is always an element of, of pain. All the qualities that make up happiness also involve pain. Now, I can say this very uh, with great authority. I have never been pregnant and I have never had a baby. But for you ladies who have, you understand how there is pain mixed with joy. And as you know, as a father, I, I can remember experiencing that kind of second hand. But we need, you know, it's, it's not too much of a stretch for us to stop and realize that in the midst of happiness, there is always this element of pain. Now, to most people, happiness is the absence of pain, the absence of misery. You know, as, but as believers, we must understand that true happiness is found even in the midst of pain. Now, if you read the world's books on on happiness, they're going to say happiness is the successful person. Happiness is the wealthy person. Happiness is the one that's the go getter. Happiness is acquiring. You know, what's the old joke? He who dies with the most toys wins. You know, th that's that's the mindset of the world. But that is not the message that Jesus is giving us here. This is not the kind of happiness that belongs to God's divine nature. Jesus does not say happy are the rich. He doesn't say happy are the famous, happy are the popular. He doesn't say happy are the successful. He says happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are meek and are humble. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who are persecuted. Happy are those who are insulted. Do we really hear that? Do we really understand that? It's a paradox to grasp this type of happiness. You know, the, the tree of happiness that, that grows out in the world uh, is a cursed tree it, it, because it's not the happiness that God is offering. And, and when we hear this stuff and we read this, I think in our heart of hearts, we, we say, he doesn't really mean that, does he? You know, he, he's not being serious about this. We, we understand on a, on a intellectual level, but do we really understand it on a heart level? 
You know, the, the truth is, is that for most people, as soon as hardships start occurring in their lives, we squeal like a stuck pig. You know, we we just we don't want any part of anything that makes our lives hard, that makes our lives miserable. We want happiness. But to be happy means to be poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who meek, who are meek. Do we really, do we really hear this? You know, Solomon is certainly a classic illustration. He was the son of a king. His palace literally was the city of God. He had wealth immeasurable. You know, his, his pleasure knew no limit. He had food and horses and buildings and servants and vineyards and, you know, ponds with fish. And, you know, he had an endless string of women to do with whatever he wanted. You know, his intelligence was was unequaled in the world. He had anything and everything that humanly speaking, a person could ask for. But did he find happiness? No, he found emptiness. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He says it over and over again. All is vanity. All in other words, all of it is empty. There there's no there's no value in this. Now, why is that? Why is it that the, the happiness that Jesus is talking about and the happiness that the world talks about are, are so far apart? They are 180 degrees opposite of each other. Well, there is a biblical truth. Happiness, blessing is not found in the, the tangible world. It is not found in things. Pleasure is not the path to true happiness. Possessions are not the path to true happiness. You know, it is ridiculous for us to spend our whole lives trying to make ourselves happy on things that are going to wind up in a junk heap. We again, we know this intellectually, yet we keep pressing forward. We keep pushing. We keep trying to to find that happiness. Happiness by the world's standard will never be found on this cursed earth. Why? Here's the key, because physical things cannot touch the soul. That is the most important thing that that I can convey today. You cannot fill a spiritual need with a physical substance. Anyone that has a deep longing for true happiness is going to be unsatisfied with anything that is material uh, because it cannot touch it, us from a spiritual standpoint. It cannot touch our heart. You know, the, the things that, that bring peace to the heart can't be provided uh, you know, through this world. And, and we need to understand that. We need to, to recognize that the... 
the tangible things that the world tells us, if you have this, you'll be happy. That's only a temporary thing. Proverbs 23, 5 says, in, in essence, that external things do not bring contentment to the soul. And what God is saying to us through Jesus is happiness is not going to be found here in this world. The world can't offer it. The world can't provide it. Happiness is spiritual in nature. It belongs in the realm and the nature of God. And therefore, it can only be enjoyed when we understand that and we are are embracing God and his plan. Jesus came to present us with this very truth. He came to introduce the principles of his kingdom. And, and the, the principle is inward. It's spiritual. And, and see, as Jesus is speaking, the, the Jews were there and, and they're, they're no different than we are today. They were looking for earthly solutions. They were looking for material approach to what their problems were. They were really attracted to Jesus when he fed them. They were really attracted to Jesus when he healed their diseases. You know, when he improved their physical well-being, their, their earthly condition. And, and again, isn't that exactly what we do? Don't we come to Jesus and say, I'm having money problems. Fix my money problems. I'm having health problems. Fix my health problems. I'm having, I'm having superficial issues. Fix my superficial issues. We don't, we don't really understand the point of Jesus but when Jesus begins to drill into the hearts of the Jews and he starts telling them that they're sinful and he starts telling them that they're separated from God and that they they need to receive the blessedness that God is offering to them. Um, and, and, and when they begin to, to be made clear that, you know, that they have sin in their life and they need to repent of their sin, they need to bow down to Jesus, all of a sudden, they don't like what he has to say anymore. They took issue with that. You know, but the Sermon on the Mount, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, there is not one reference made by Jesus to social issues. Jesus didn't come to throw the Romans off, off their back. He didn't come to shore up their political situation. The Jews were worried about that, but Jesus wasn't. And again, that begs this question. How many of us today are coming to Jesus just like the Jews? You know, we're wanting Jesus to fix our problems, but we're not wanting him to meddle with us spiritually. We, we want Jesus on the surface, but we're not really willing to repent we're not really willing to bow down and call him Lord and to and to sacrifice everything for him. In verse one, it says, 
he saw the multitudes and he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, he began, uh, the, the disciples came and he opened his mouth and he began to teach them. And he's, he's blessed, blessed, blessed. In order for us to understand this sermon, you have to understand that Jesus was saying something different than what people are used to to hearing. He was talking about an internal happiness that only God can give. And he gives it to the most unlikely people, those who are poor, those who are sorrowful, those who are meek, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty. You know, that's, that's the audience that Jesus is speaking to. Nobody would draw up a list like this. Here's the path to happiness. All it takes is for you to have a bankrupt spirit, for you to be overwhelmed with sadness and humility. That's the path to happiness. You know, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He brought them a message of the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God has a kingdom and that anyone that wants to can enter into that kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom and there is a path that leads to true happiness. But only children of the kingdom can understand this. Only the family of the kingdom could, could have this happiness that Jesus is speaking about. He talks to people who are going to understand him. The message is for everybody in, in every age, but it is only able to be understood and grasped by those people who God is working his transformational purpose in, in our hearts. It's an interesting thing that if you typically talk to anybody who is not saved and the subject of the Sermon on the Mount comes up, they're always going to say, oh, yes, the Sermon on the Mount that that I, I can identify with that. You know, that 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 makes so much sense to me. But the, the fact is that. The world looks at the Sermon on the Mount and they see it as some sort of ethical treaty, you know, that that Jesus is speaking about ethics and, and um, you know, that the poor are somehow, you know, in, in a special place with God. But they don't understand because they're not subjects of the king People are always trying to make the Sermon on the Mount something social, you know, that it's the social gospel. Uh, this is not the social gospel. This is not an ethical message. This is not a call to live a higher form of, of humanity. What this is, is a message that tells us how to become children of God. That's what this is. If you want to be happy, you have to be poor in your spirit. 
If you want to be happy, then you have to mourn over your sin. You have to you have to be grieved because the sin that exists in your life. If you want to be happy, then because you realize how how sinful you are, instead of being bold and proud, you become meek. You become passive, more passive. And, and if you want to be happy, then you're going to have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You have to want righteousness so bad that it drives you. And, and you're willing to suffer persecution. You're willing to suffer insult. You're willing to walk away from everything that the world says is valuable in order to possess this connection to God. The Beatitudes are the point of entry. If there is a gate, if you will, that leads to heaven, that leads to salvation, the Beatitudes are that gate. Jesus is, is saying happy people have the right attitude. They, it's, it's not what you possess. It's the poverty of your spirit. It's the hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You should be so sick of your sin that you hate the sin because it, it just eats at you day and night and you want to be free of that sin. And so as a result, you become a broken person, a person who is absolutely just wounded because you recognize how glorious God is and yet you fall so far short. That's what the Beatitudes are telling us. It, it, and it's an attitude that will ultimately produce happiness because this is the path that leads to God. And, and when we become aware of, of the sin in our life and, and we have a sorrow over our sin, that makes me meek and I feel small and I feel insignificant when I look at glorious, at our glorious God. And again, that leads to a hunger and a thirst, not, not for more of the world, but for righteousness. It's a righteousness that I know I don't have. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when that righteousness becomes evident to me, when I begin to understand this is where God is and this is where I am, then I, I begin to, instead of being full of myself and proud and, and all of those sort of things, then I become, I become merciful because I realize I messed up and so is everybody else. And so instead of being harsh toward other people, I begin to be sympathetic toward them. That's, that's the flow, if you will, of the Beatitudes. I don't think that there's anything more important in Jesus's teaching on the subject of evangelism than these Beatitudes. These are not ethical statements. They're not social statements. They are, in fact, the truth that leads to salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to 
grasp the point of, of this message, of, of these, this teaching by Jesus. Father, help us to hold on to you and to your words, because your words are life. Help us to grasp the truth of the Beatitudes, not to be um, just knowledgeable about them, but Lord, let them, let them dictate the change in our life. Help us to become truly broken over our sin. And Father, use that to draw us to you, to draw us to the change that you call each of us to have. Thank you, Father. And I pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.